This episode is in partnership with Gloss Genius. Made for salons and spas, Gloss Genius is the only business management and payments platform that makes it easy to grow revenue and enhance the client experience, which we are all about here on The Treatment Room. From a beautiful online booking site to powerful marketing tools and low payment processing rates, Gloss Genius empowers you to run your full salon or spa in a stylish and smart way while feeling supported at every step. For 50% off for two months, go to glossgenius.com slash sign up and enter code TTRSPRING or check the show notes for details. Now let's get back to the show. Hi, how are you? Welcome back to the Treatment Room Podcast. I am your host, Tessa Zolli, and I really can't wait to share this week's episode. We talk all about formulating ingredients, all the good things. I feel like there should be more education on for estheticians. This is definitely a topic I want to dive into more, especially for those of you who are interested in having your own product line or who just want to understand formulas, what you're putting on your own skin and what you are recommending to your clients. I want to help us understand that on a little bit of a deeper level. So the guest of today's show is Keisha Chu. She is a cosmetic formulator and founder of Keisha Knows Skin, an educational consulting platform. Keisha and I actually met on YouTube and we've become fast friends. She is one of my favorite formulators and always so happy to answer questions for me, so I can't thank her enough. Keisha educates cosmetic formulators and estheticians on how to create safe, effective, and stable cosmetics while sharing her abundant wealth of cosmetic knowledge. She covers topics such as cosmetic ingredients, skincare concerns, and innovative product formulation. When it comes to consulting, she helps small indie brand owners create custom formulas. She also offers formula adjustments and corrections. She's been into beauty since she was 12 years old and launched her first skincare line at 16 years old. Fast forward years later, she's still transforming lives one skin type at a time. It is my pleasure to introduce Keisha Chu. I hope you guys love this episode. Please let us know if you have any questions. We are definitely planning on doing a little follow-up episode together. And as always, if you have been enjoying the show, if you feel like it's been supporting you on your aesthetics journey, please share it with a friend or colleague so we can pass that education on to them as well. And leave me a little five-star review on iTunes. That is one of the best ways you can support the show and I appreciate you for doing that so so much okay without further ado let's hop into the conversation with Keisha hi Keisha how are you welcome to the treatment room podcast hi I'm doing great how are you doing so good we're so excited to have a formulator and an educator on the show would you like to give us a little bit of background about yourself and what you do yes of course well as you all know my specialty is formulating i love skincare i love hair care but like skincare is my passion that's like my baby i got into a really young at a young age my mom actually we were doing dermabrasions when I was young we would do facials I was using anti-aging skincare so that's what really turned my love for skincare 
that's how I really got involved into skincare. And, um, you know, I just started making concoctions in the kitchen. And then, you know, I would go to school and girls would be like, what are you using on your face? You look so amazing. And I was like, mom, I'm going to start a skincare line. (laughs) And I actually was going to a dermatologist and I was asking him, you know, what ingredients are good? You know, what can I do to put in my, you know, concoctions for these teenagers? And, you know, he was like, this is crazy. You're so young. I was like, listen, they want it. I can offer it. Let's do it. (laughs) And so we got together. He taught me about some good ingredients. And before I know it, I was customizing skincare for teens. And, you know, everybody was walking around with pretty skin. And it was pretty cool, you know, at that young age, starting out as an entrepreneur. So I was just so excited. Yes, it was so exciting. (laughs) You were definitely ahead of your time. Um, Was your mom an esthetician? No, she wasn't. She actually was a businesswoman. She owned her own daycare. And then when we when she moved to Texas, because she started the daycare in California where you are, and she moved to Texas and she actually worked for the prison system, totally, totally different, wow. right? Wow. <laughs> but uh, no <laughs> beauty education or anything, but her mom was a cosmetologist and a oh, baker. Okay. So that's where she like learned beautifying herself was so important because my mom had the most beautiful skin I've ever seen. Not a bump. I've never seen my mom with acne hyperpigmentation or anything I mean skin just so flawless and I'm like I want to feel like my mom (laughs) you know you have good skin too thank you and so you know I was just like oh my goodness and she taught me like the importance of really keeping yourself naturally beautiful so you don't have to always rely on makeup you know things of that nature so she was very big on natural beauty I love that what was like the first class you took that was like an official step to you know your more advanced formulating experience well honestly Tessa I really am gonna say it wasn't so much of a class I'm gonna say it was really learning from people who had been in the field really really learning from dermatologists I feel like that was like my real first class because here it is you know they pay six figures for their education And so here it was, they were willing to give me education for free, you know, being that I was so young. And so I really took advantage of that. And then, you know, what all my mom had learned from her mom, because she went to cosmetology school. And so, and then my sister also went to cosmetology school and she would do facials on me. And she said, this is how you do a facial. This is what they teach us, you know? And so really just those people, I feel like they were my greatest teachers but um, I went to school of natural skincare, and that was like the really first step for me to really learning how to formulate properly, you know, learning okay. the conventional way, the natural way, and the organic way. So, yeah. <laughs> Can you explain what each of those means? Yes, of course. So, cosmetic chemists, they're really kind of frustrated in today's society because, you know, a lot of people are going natural and vegan with their skincare and you know in college they weren't taught that way so conventional way is the way that people hate today you know SLS okay um, yeah you know like all those ingredients are like oh my goodness no you know animal-based products 
like uh, marine collagen, uh, squalene, because, you know, squalane is olive derived. Yes. You know, so, you know, but this is how they were taught. They were taught to use parabens and, you know, the world hates them today. So they're kind of, you know, frustrated because here it is, they spend all this money on their education and they have to learn a whole new way of formulating EcoCert qualify, you know, so it's just been frustrating for them, but I feel so blessed because I really learned how to do it all three ways, you know, um, the organic way, the natural way, you know, the way that people love today. And, um, you know, I always say, you know, if you're an esthetician and you're in the treatment room, you should be offering a vegan facial because that's just where we are right now. And that's the way that the world is moving. So have that vegan facial, you know, offer it, you know, people are going to love it. We're living in a plant-based society now. And when you say natural formulation, does that equal plant-based? Well, no, not really. Um, It could be more of naturally derived ingredients like vegetable collagen that are made in the lab you know, that Mm -hmm. scientists are making, but is naturally derived. So there's different types of naturals. There's nature identical, there's natural, like from the ground, and then there's naturally derived ingredients. So it really just depends on which way you want to go. And of course, you can decide which way you want to go in the lab, you know, they'll break it down for you. What was the first complete formula that you ever made? The first, my first form that I ever made was a body scrub. (laughs) Something super simple because I was like having so much dry skin and I was like, I need to exfoliate. And it's so funny because I, I used to do that all the time. And now I know better because physical scrubs actually aren't good for you because they take off the dead cells and the living skin cells. And you only want to do, you know, the dead skin cells. So it's just so funny how far I've come and learned. And I'm like, man, I was killing living skin cells. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Okay. And what are some of the formulas that you make now that you're, you know, really proud of or that you personally use? Um, I love the ones that I make now. I love like the body oils that I make, uh, shampoos, facial cleansers. You know, I really research a lot of herbs and really see like what they could do for our skin and our hair. And also looking at the cons, you know, um, if you ever want to start a skincare line, don't just look at the pros of an ingredient. Always look at the cons because that's what's going to matter in the long run. You want to know, you always want to stay in that safety zone. Because a lot of these ingredients, if you use them the wrong way, they can do more harm than good. And that's what you don't want. Yes, yes. And as somebody who just, you know, came out with products, it's a very discerning audience these days. Mm -hmm. Like you just have to be so particular with, with the whole ingredient deck. But starting a line is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on Keisha because Mm -hmm. I've gotten a lot of questions from others wanting to do it and um, who are more curious about it and I know you educate on how somebody could start their own line could you take us through the basics of why you would start one how what when all that of course so for estheticians because I know that this is definitely geared towards estheticians Um, You know, we are looking at more of a professional setting. So, you know, you have to know about actives. You have to know about salicylic acid 
hyaluronic acid, lactic acid, you know, retinol, all of these things because that's what they're using in the treatment room. But don't forget about the consumers that are not going to like those ingredients because what mm-hmm. I'm seeing now is that a lot of estheticians are starting to open up natural spas, vegan spas, you know, Mm -hmm. they're plant-based spas too. So don't be afraid to step out on faith with that, you know. Um, Also, also find you a niche, you know. There's so many different skin problems that you can cater to. Like Mm -hmm. eczema is one that always gets left out, but so many people deal with it, you know. Um, You know, because it's just a focus on everybody wants to do acne, everybody wants to do mature skin, but there's Mm -hmm. so many other problems. You know, rosacea is another one that a lot of people don't know about. You know, then they're looking for an esthetician because the dermatologist really isn't helping them everything that they're prescribing them isn't working. And so, you know, really hone in and look out for those different skincare types that are really like overlooked. So that would be my best advice because that's going to help you consider what type of line you really want to start. And you can also do different type of lines. You know, it doesn't have to just be one. You can have one for acne. You can have one for mature skin, problematic skin. Dry skin is another good one. There's so many people that suffer with dry skin. So really find out what niche you want to do. And another good one is for men because we overlook men all the time. And that's another great men are looking to fix their skin all the time. You know, every time my husband gets a pimple, he's like, babe, Mm -hmm. help me. And, you know, there's so many men that really care about their skin. And because, you know, you make it such a woman thing, they feel overlooked and left out. So that's another good niche to get involved in. And um, even, yeah, and even for teens acne, like just really catering to teens, because you know how many teens get bullied. They want to kill themselves because of their acne. Like it's really serious for them. Yeah, it's really real. People don't see that. And so if you can be that one esthetician, like, you know what, I'm going to change the game when it comes to teenagers, that's a great way to live and help people. You know, that's a great thing to be known for. So, you know, really hone in on those different niches that are being overlooked. Um, And another good one is is athletics, you know, like the sweating, Mm -hmm. you know, that's another good one, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, those are just some ideas and, um you know, for me personally, because I am going to go to esthetician school next year. And, you are? Yeah, I am. Congratulations. Thank you. That's so exciting. And, and, you know, one of the things that I'm really into is oncology because my mom passed away from cancer. Oh, and so, okay. you know, and a lot of people, they really don't know about, you know, oncology for estheticians. Mm-hmm. And it's a real thing. They actually offer jobs at the hospitals, you know, at the cancer outpatients. And so that's another good thing to really focus on and really help make those patients feel beautiful again, because that's the last thing they feel when they're going through that is beautiful. You know, their skin is drying out. So that's another good, you know, niche to get into as well. So basically, uh, you know, not to make this long, just find your niche, find what you're passionate about, find something that you can be a game changer in and really hone in on that. Um, The next step is is formulating, you know, if you want to do it yourself, I do teach, you know, estheticians and formulators how to formulate themselves, you know, good manufacturing practices, you know, I uh, do custom formulas as well. 
you know, help them really build out that formula that's going to be stable, safe, and effective. Because a lot of the times we choose ingredients that aren't stable and effective. And if, you know, somebody's listening to this and they have their notepad and pen, realize that natural products is one of the hardest products to formulate because they're very often unstable, you know? So, you know, keep that in mind. You want to make sure that you're using, you know, like for example, instead of carrier oils, you want to make sure that you're using esters and they have amazing, great natural esters out there, like EcoSteel, for example. So, you know, and it's going to help the product last for three years, you know, versus six months to a year. So, you know, you want to just yes. keep those things in mind um, as well. That's important because very, you very need important. something to keep it stable and, and you need something to preserve the product as much mm-hmm. as, you know, we can have concerns for yes. um, wanting natural ingredients. We've got to keep the product safe. Yes, because when we're talking about selling to clients that, you know, just I can put anything in here and make money, that's not going to work because you're going to find yourself getting a lawsuit. And so safe, effective, and stable, listen and live by those words when you start a skincare line, because that's what's going to help you in the long run. You want to offer the best thing for your client and you want to protect yourself as well. Absolutely. These are all such important things and great tips. I love what you said about um, identifying a niche because there is a lot out there. You may not create a completely unique thing, but thinking about where is the white space in the market? How could I treat men or, or people who are working out a lot or even teens? Those are such valuable markets to be aware of. And, and oncology treatment, I agree. That's something I would like to explore down the line too, because we need more estheticians who understand how to treat those who are undergoing cancer treatment. Right. And even ethnic, too, because yes. I, mean, I feel like this is something that needs to be taught in aesthetic school, you know, because you never yes. know who's going to come and sit in your chair. And, you know, I know that oftentimes it's focused on Fitzpatrick's one through three and kind of when a patient that comes in that's four through six, you're kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do. Right. <laughs> you know, right. but if they would teach that azelic acid, malic acid and mandelic acid is great for ethnic skin types, then it wouldn't be so much of a challenge for the esthetician. So we have mm-hmm. to teach these things, you know, so totally, it's, so, it's so much to learn. <laughs> It is. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Like, even when I was in school, like, there's people of all color, but at the same time, we're all learning the European facial and that's it. There was no discussion beyond and I'm treating my classmates of color. It's just kind of surprising and shows that that needs to change. Yeah, it definitely needs to be taught because there's so many different skin tones out there and we need to learn how to cater to each and every one of them because people of color skin is so different, you know, and so it needs to be taught in depth. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a black woman. I'm saying it because it really needs to be learned just so the esthetician can feel comfortable in their craft and really offer great results that are going to change people's lives. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that a lot of us go into our first jobs not having that training. And I remember having 
clients of color who were nervous and would say, just try to like warn me, I pigment really easy just Mm -hmm. and they've said like I've had bad experiences before and that just like hurts my heart because I hate that they feel that going into a professional space they even have that thought right and listen a lot of us wouldn't hyperpigmentate easily if we wore sunscreen, you know, they teach us, oh, we don't need sunscreen. You know, that's what they teach us. And so we go by that. And because of it, our skin suffers, you know. And so that's why I'm saying we really need to be educating estheticians on letting them know, hey, y'all need sunscreen. Just because you're darker doesn't mean you don't need sunscreen, you know. So yes. it's just a yeah. lot to learn. It really is. <laughs> It is a lot to learn. You're going to learn so much in school. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to, I mean, you're going to be, you already are a force to reckon with, but also having that experience learning how to treat skin from an esthetician's perspective, that's just such a unique combination. Yeah, it is, you know, really being able to touch the skin and really you know, seeing up close and personal what it can do that's not a case study. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so what about favorite ingredients to work with or use in formulas? Would you say you prefer using mandelic, azelaic acid? What do you enjoy? I absolutely love those two, but I also love salicylic acid too. Now I know, yeah, like I know that this is such a controversial ingredient, but a lot of the times you'll be shocked that it's actually just formulated wrong. You know, salicylic acid, a lot of times chemists, they just neutralize it. And in order for it to be effective, it needs to be at a pH of 3.5 to 4.0. But here's the thing, that can be very irritating on the skin because of that pH. But if you formulate it right, it really can be a beautiful formulation. You have to add in those conditioning ingredients. You have to add in those hydrating ingredients like hyaluronic acid, soothing and calming ingredients in the formula. So Tessa, if you ever think about doing a salicylic acid cleanser, you know, Make sure you tell your manufacturer, hey, put in some soothing ingredients in there, put in some calming ingredients, add in some hyaluronic acid so that it can help balance out the skin. And that's another thing, estheticians, when you're ordering products from these lines, ask them about the final pH, because a lot of the times, you know, for example, let's say a product has salicylic acid and isinamide in there. Well, guess what? One of them isn't going to work because an isinamide niacinamide has to be at a pH of 6.0 in order to be effective and salicylic acid what I just taught y'all needs to be at a pH of 3.5 to 4.0 in order to be effective so guess what one of those ingredients aren't even going to work in the formula so you're being sold a gimmick instead of a gem and so this is why you need to ask about you know that final pH and another thing to ask about is the active matter in that cleanser because the active matter of a facial cleanser needs to be between 8% to 10%. So if it's 12%, guess what? It's going to be too irritating on your client's face and it's going to do more harm than good. So estheticians, ask those questions. You know, if you have any cleanser, ask about the active matter. You know, test that when you're making that facial cleanser, 
you know, ask them, hey, what is the active matter of this? Because you want to make sure that it's staying in between 8% to 10%. You know, these are the questions that you should be asking that they don't teach in aesthetic school, but they should yes. be. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. I learned a lot about pH from one of my mentors, Michelle Phelan. Mm-hmm. Keisha, maybe you would enjoy some of her classes. But yeah, she talks about the importance of pH a lot. And it is something that's missing from like a peel label or just, you know, products in general. We don't have awareness that that matters, but that can drastically change, you know, how the peel performs on your skin. Right. And listen, Tessa, I'm telling you, you're going to start to see it on skincare products. They're going to start to put the pH of the final product on there because consumers mm-hmm. are starting to become educated on pH. They're starting to want to know. And so yeah. believe me, about two to four years, you're going to start seeing a lot of companies put that pH of their product on the label. Yeah. And that's, that's good to know that like certain ingredients you're saying like niacinamide and salicylic, Mm -hmm. you can't just throw any active ingredient together. You have to consider the pH for each. That's so interesting. Yeah, you do. It's so important because, uh, you know, formulating with actives, it's a whole different ball game, you know, just to get them stable is a stressful headache. So you really have to know what you're doing you really do. You can't just slap something in the bottle, adjust the pH to 4.5 to 5.5, not with actives. Yeah, you really got to know what you're right. doing. You have also talked about active ingredient percentages mm-hmm. a lot on your social media. Could you share with us a little bit about that and kind of what goes into deciding on what's a good percentage of this active ingredient to use on my client? Um, hyaluronic acid, you can use that at about 0.5 to 1%. Um, and at both of those percentages, it's pretty active. It's such a potent ingredient. Um, salicylic acid for cosmetics, you can only use 2%. And people stay between 0.5 to 2% because, you know, mm-hmm. it is an FDA-regulated ingredient. So anything above 2%, we're going into drug territory. So you mm-hmm. want to, you know, keep mm-hmm. it safe for cosmetics. Now, 0.5% salicylic acid really doesn't do much of anything, to be honest, especially okay. if it's not at the right pH. So you really do want that 2% to really be in there. You could probably get away with 1%, but 2% is the best at a pH of 3.5 to 4.0. If your country does allow that, because it is regulated in different parts of the world, I don't know. If, you know, you have any international listeners, I did want to throw that out Mm -hmm. there. Um, Nicinamide, you know, it can be used up to 10%, but you can really get great results with 5% nicinamide. That's my favorite. You know, um, that's my favorite percentage of that. You know, you can get really great results. Now, nicinamide, to see results, it does take a little bit longer, you know, about three months or so. And if you're using it consistently, you can see it in about 60 days. But it's a great ingredient. Um, Retinol is very, very expensive. And so I hope I don't break anybody's hearts. But a lot of the times, uh, companies put it in there as low as 0.1%. Because just for a two ounce, it's $125. So it's very expensive. And we're talking about, yeah, and we're talking about selling to masses of people. So they only put it in there as low as 0.1%. But 
it's super strong to where it actually can perform at that low percentage, you know? So, um, yeah, so oftentimes it's in there really, really low just because of how expensive it is. So a lot of the times you'll see retinol palmitate because that's about $50, you know, but it's not as effect as effective as retinol. So, you know, um, another one is um, mandelic acid, malic acid, valic acid, and, um, you know, about 3% is good with those. Um, some of them you can use up to 10% as well. Um, but like I said, you really have to know the FDA regulations or wherever you are in your country because everybody is different. So definitely check, you know, where you are in your regulations. Okay, this is so interesting. I, I want to talk more about retinol because I think there's a lot of confusion from a consumer standpoint and even an esthetician's in terms of choosing an efficacious retinol. Would you mind talking a little bit more about some of these like derivatives we could see like retinol, palmitate, and what are some considerations we should have? What are good percentages to look for? Um, so definitely, I would say like retinol palmitate, a lot of people put it in there at higher percentages, because like I said, it is cheaper, but it's not as effective. So I really wouldn't grab for it, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, it, it but here is the crazy thing. Retinol palmitate is really great for skin of color. And so I know a lot of the times, like if, you know, they're selling to an ethnic group, they do put, you know, retinol palmitate because it doesn't irritate their skin as easy. And just like I was talking about with salicylic acid, retinol is that one ingredient that it can be very, very irritating. And so, you know, the world society really hypes up retinol, but a lot of people don't really care for it because it makes their skin go crazy because of the high cell turnover rate. And so that's another ingredient that you really want to pair with those soothing and those calming and those hydrating, um, you know, ingredients as well, because it can be very, very irritating. But the good thing is you only need a little, little bit, you know, some of them put it in there at 0.5. Um, of course, if you're going to the doctor, it's definitely going to be high, but you can only get that from a dermatologist as well. So, um, yeah, but like I said, you know, if you ever decide to come out with the retinol serum, make sure that you price it right and uh, and realize that you really only need a little bit for it to be effective. Like I said, that 0.1% can really make a difference in your skin because it's such a potent ingredient. Do you use retinol yourself and like which which brands do you are you drawn to and do you like to use do you see a difference between over the counter and professional lines i know you have the background with your family in cosmetology but what do you kind of use and like yes well i've formulated with retinol in the past um, I haven't used it in a while, actually, because I really don't okay. need it. Um, I, it's really one of those ingredients that I use on a if I really need it. Like if I've been laughing a lot, I see some fine lines coming in. You know, if I feel like, oh, you know, I need to really want to even out my skin. So I would just formulate it myself because I'm a formulator. 
Um, yeah. So I really can't say any brands because I'm okay. the type of person that's so gonna cool, go in though. there. Yeah, it's yeah. like okay, if I need this, let me just formulate I need it, with I it. I can make it. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it's How that type cool. of thing. Yeah, but I haven't used it in a while because, like I said, it's one of those things. Like if I feel like I need it. Um, but now okay. that I'm about to enter into my 30s, I'm like, okay, I need to start using this more often. <laughs> because oh, you're I, young, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. you definitely want to get a head start because, ooh. For sure. <laughs> yeah. To, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, are there any products you see on the market that you feel like are super gimmicky or are overrated or just like you would not recommend them? Oh, definitely. Like I see people mixing things that are just crazy, like salicylic acid, niacinamide. I feel like that's a gimmick because the one is going to be effective. The other one isn't. Um, You know, I've seen a product, you know, not going to call out any names, but they have salicylic acid and retinol in there. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's a disaster waiting to happen. Um, I think that lash serums are a gimmick because lawsuits are coming left and right. Yes. And so, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, stay away from that. You know, I wouldn't even do that if you're not a dermatologist, just because so many things can go wrong with that. Um, Let me see what else. Um, A lot of these masks that the peel off masks that can really do more damage to the skin than good. Um, Now the jelly, the jelly ones are great. Those are good. Yeah. But the ones that are like, you're ripping your skin off. I think that's a gimmick. Um, you know, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Pore strips. I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, these are so bad for you. Why? So Why do this good. to yourself? Yeah. Wow. And I think that yeah. clay masks are really good, but people use it wrong. You should never yes. keep a clay mask on for more than five minutes tops. Yes, you know, that's a good tip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's a love hate relationship with clay. <laughs> Totally. And I know you're also a formulator for hair care. Mm-hmm. Could you share a little bit about, you know, how you would, you know, choose a good hair product for a specific hair type? What are things we should look for with hair care? Oh, for sure. You know, I'm glad that you asked this because, you know, hair is different all across the board. You have straight, you have wavy, you have curly, you have ethnic, and ethnic hair is really, really dry. So you're going to need a heavier formulation for versus straight hair. You know, you don't need that. You don't need all that heavy stuff in there. So like oils, like grapeseed oil is good, organ oil, something that's really lightweight, you know, versus Jamaican black castor oil and black seed oil that's thicker, you know, will be good for, um, you know, ethnic hair because it is dry and their hair just soaks up so much stuff. Um, Yeah, um, you know, and even esters are really great for lightweight hairstyles. And um, let me see what else. Um, Well, you know, here's the thing. SOS is used a lot of the times in um, shampoos because it offers Mm -hmm. the best cleansing, but you can Mm -hmm. use other anionic surfactants like AOS 40 is great. If your hair is really, really oily, because I know all hair types suffer with that. You want to make sure that you're using an anionic surfactant SLSA, which is a natural alternative as well. 
um you know those would are really we see good. that like on a label yes you'll see that on the okay. label yeah you definitely will now um with aos 40 it'll be like um the c14 to 16 alpha Ultinet, you'll see that on there with that one but it's a really great my one of my favorites it's a great deep cleansing okay. agent and it's also okay. great for um skincare lines as well that are used with active because it helps to really get in there and penetrate and it is very compatible with act with active pardon me um it's very compatible with active so that's another good one um Cocoa Patang, you know, that's in everything these days. It's an amapheteric surfactant, which is great, compatible with all their surfactants. Um, and okay. it helps to really, you know, just make sure that that anionic surfactant isn't as harsh. You know, it really yes. is a soother, you know. So that's a good one to use in hair care as well and in skincare. Okay. Um, yeah, but that's about it. My favorite for like really sensitive skin and sensitive scalp is Deco Glucoside. Yeah. Love, okay. love, love, love that. It's such a gentle but great cleansing agent and it's a non-ionic surfactant. So, you know, it's really, really great. So I love that. You might have well. to say that one more time for us. <laughs> a non-ionic surfactant. Deco Glucoside. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Very, very cool. I, this is all so interesting. I can't even imagine how you wrap your head around all these ingredients. <laughs> yeah, like sometimes I have to remind myself how to pronounce them because they're tongue twisters. They really are. So I'm trying to do my best. <laughs> You're doing great. Do you think SLS, for example, like I do see some ramifications of that in hair care translating to more breakouts around the skin. What's your opinion as a formulator? Is that an ingredient you avoid? No, you know, to be honest with you, I actually love SLS, especially my you body do. wash. I do. I okay. love it. I'm a fan of SLS. But the, Tell issue, me more. the issue is, is that I feel like people give SLS a bad rep because it's not formulated properly. You know, it's an anionic surfactant and it's very, very stripping, you know, and so it has to be paired with an amapheteric or a non-ionic surfactant so that it can give it, you know, it can strip away so, so much of that harshness, if that makes sense. So like if uh -huh. you pair SLS with cocoputane or with decoglucoside, it's going to feel amazing on the skin, you know? I even mm. um, have used some face washes that has SLS in it, and I love it, you know, because I love that deep cleanse. But mm. a lot of the times people hate it because it strips their skin because it's just not formulated right. If you put SLS with some hyaluronic acid, you know, or... um or with um, some Manuka honey extract in there, you know, just those hydrating ingredients or urea, it's going to feel wonderful. You're not even going to know SOS is in there, you know, it just has to uh -huh. be formulated right. When you have those yeah. stripping ingredients, you just want to pair them with soothing, conditioning ingredients. So people aren't even going to know like, man, this is a great formulation and SOS is present. It's just yeah. not, yeah, you know, when you just throw SOS with glycerin, God, don't even get me started on glycerin, but. <laughs> Wait, what, what, tell me about, is there something you don't like about glycerin? 
I'm just not a fan of glycerin. Like, okay. you know, I know when I'm giving out, um, let me see, sample formulas, I use glycerin because I know that's what people have. But I always okay. tell people that I'm not a fan of glycerin. I love propanol. That is my favorite. It's just like glycerin without the stickiness and the tacky feel. So if okay. you're ever going to start a skincare line, always keep this in the back of your mind. No sticky, no tackiness, you know, because consumers hate this. And when you use right. glycerin at high percentages, and this is what people do, and the formulation turns out awful. They put SLS in there and they put 10% to 15% glycerin with it. And so you're left with this stripping, tacky, sticky formulation, and it's horrible. People hate it. But mm. if you use propanol, which is, gives you the amazing benefits of glycerin, more humectant, more moisturizing, but it's so such a beautiful ingredient. No stickiness, no tackiness, and you can use a lot of it, you know, and it's very affordable. And it's a great mm -hmm. solvent as well, because a lot of the times chemists use um, glycerin in their formulation as a solvent instead of a humectant. So they're trying mm. to use it to um, as a solvent for that thickener in there because gums, they create these clumps if you don't make a slurry with glycerin. But you can also make that slurry with propanol as well and get this beautiful formulation. And so my issue with glycerin is that people use too much of it in a formulation. And it's this sticky, tacky mm. mess. And they use it because it's just cheap. Propanol is a little bit more pricier than glycerin, mm -hmm. but it's still affordable, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that mm. does make sense. Mm -hmm. So, so interesting. Are you on TikTok? Because I feel like this no. is just viral material. <laughs> no, I'm not on TikTok. I've been really debating should I make one or not because I watch you all should. of them on yeah. YouTube. I told my husband, I said, babe, I don't know. I've been thinking about making one because I'm always watching them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, YouTube, it takes a lot of planning a lot of you know it recording does. editing yes. it's time consuming with tiktok right. you could just open the camera and share this information in 30 seconds <laughs> look i i might really do it I've, i'm really trying to debate on it but i've been here don't think like, too long just do I it i know <laughs> <laughs> so and when it comes to formulation i feel like this just goes back to what what we always say that it's really hard to understand how well a product will perform, whether it will be good or bad, just by looking at the ingredient deck. Would you kind of agree with that? Indeed, indeed. Um, you know, you really have to know because um, on the label, they're listed from highest to lowest. And if it's in there after 1%, you know, below 1%, pardon me, they can put it in any order. And so, you know, but you can definitely tell what they have. And you notice you're always going to see glycerin as the second ingredient. <laughs> so, you know, mm -hmm. they're going to have that in there super high. Um, but like, mm -hmm. I feel like you shouldn't use any more than 5% glycerin in a formulation because yeah. it's just, it's a little goes a long way. You don't need 10 to 20% glycerin. That's just far too much. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. And how about when it comes to like, I know we were talking about the elegance of the formula, the experience and, you know, glycerin being like really tacky. What about, I I hear this concern a lot. My products are not 
performing well together when I layer them. What could you tell us about, you know, what serums or moisturizers or ingredients might not be the best mixed together, might get pilly or just like, you know, not feel great on the skin? You know what, Tessa, I'm so glad that you asked this question because that is a challenge. A lot of the times we live in a society where people love to mix and match products, especially in the treatment room. It goes on a lot. But, you know, they when we create these products, we create a line and we assume and hope that the consumers are going to use the line together because we know it's compatible. We know that they're not going to have to experience those things. But in reality, you really have to really look at these other products that people are using that's kind of like yours and be like, man, is this going to be compatible? And so when you are, you know, formulating these things, you just want to really like, okay, well, let me just go buy some DMK because I know that an esthetician is most likely going to use this product or let me go buy some skin script and let me see how well this meshes with my serum that I've created in the lab. And so I know like, okay, how is this going to perform together? So I definitely encourage, you know, estheticians to do that because a lot of the times those ingredients aren't compatible and it happens because we're using, you know, we formulated something that has cationic ingredients for dry skin, but then these other formulations are full of anionic ingredients and anionic and cationic does not mix well, you know? And so, and so this is what happens. Science takes place. And, you know, we're having peels and stuff and consumers are like, what is going on? But because they're not using the whole line, which has been formulated to be compatible and they're mixing and matching, we have anionic and cationic and it's just a mess. And so this is what happens, you know, so, but we have to keep that in mind. Be like, hey, I want to start this skincare line, but I need you to make it with ingredients that are going to be compatible with DMK, with skin script, you know, you have to keep that in mind. You want to have, that's why I always say launch with a serum because a serum is something that, you know, they can just throw into their routine that they're already using. You know, it's a specialty in um, product, you know, and it's amazing and it really goes really well with a lot of other, you know, products that are on the market today in the aesthetics realm, you know, so just look at those, take a look at those ingredients, like, okay, what are they using? Okay, now what can I get formulated or what can I formulate myself that's going to be compatible with what's on the market? Because you have to think about that when you're in the treatment room, because you know that the esthetician is going to be mixing and matching. Okay, um, if I create this retinol, and the esthetician is going to be putting some, you know, salicylic acid with it, what's going to happen? Like, is it going to be compatible or is it going to cause irritation? And so these are questions that you really have to ask being a skincare owner. I'm so glad we're talking about this. I think sometimes as estheticians, you know, we hear from the brands, they want us to use the entire line and the entire line only. Yeah, and, then, and that's why, because it's compatible. Yes, mm-hmm. because it's compatible, which is totally fair. And then on the other end, I think we can feel as estheticians like, well, I have certain favorites from from certain lines. I feel more in control of the final outcome and the best result if I can mix and match a little bit but do you feel like yeah go ahead and and listen Tessa you're entitled to feel like that as an esthetician because you don't know 
what your client is going to come through the door with. There, There's not one line that's going to cater to every single client. Let's be honest. And so when you are creating and formulating professional products as a chemist or as a formulator, you should keep in mind that, hey, I know estheticians mix and match. So I need to make sure that this formula is going to be compatible with all these other products that's out on the market right now. Any great formulator is going to know that, you know, you have to be prepared because they know the estheticians are not going to be able to use a whole line of image or skin script on this one client when they have a lot of different things going on. You know what I'm saying? And so for, for example, like, let's say I, um, formulated a sweet almond cleansing oil and you have this client that comes in with acne well I know that I can't as an esthetician you know I know that hey I can't use this cleansing oil from this skincare line because this is an acne prone client and that and then you know the acne prone client their skin is already high in oleic acid and so sweet almond oil being that it is lightweight and it is you know it absorbs really well and it's not pore clogging but hey sweet almond oil is very high in oleic acid so if I put this cleansing oil on this client it's going to do more harm than good so I can't use sweet almond oil on this acne prone client because it's too high in oleic acid so I need to go get a carrier oil or a cleansing oil that's high in linoleic acid from another brand. And so these are things that happen in the treatment room and you have to be prepared for that as when you're formulating for, you know, that specific skincare type. It's just gonna it's gonna happen. Mix and match is going to happen. So an esthetician should never feel entitled to use one line because let's mm-hmm. be honest, that's just not <laughs> It's insane to yeah. think that, you know? Yeah, yeah. We want to customize and we want to treat the person, you know, personally and right. specific to their concerns, not just treat everyone the same. Like, how can we understand if something is anionic or not? Well, see, uh, Tessa, this is why I'm launching a patron on June 28th. Okay. And I'm going to have a level for formulators, a level for estheticians, and a level for DIYers. And I'm going to really go in depth because I'm. this is my first time ever telling anybody this. But my biggest life dream is to be the author of the chemistry and product section in the My Lady book. <gasps> it, that is my biggest dream. This is my first time ever telling anybody that. You know, that that is something that I want to do. And um, mm-hmm. even if I die and it doesn't happen, I'm going to have something laying around in my wheel. Like, put this out. <laughs> yes. yes. You know, that is my biggest dream because I really want to go in depth about, because let's be honest, products are one of the biggest things that are used in the treatment room. And so estheticians, you know, they, what they put into my lady book, you know, it's just a summary and it goes into so much depth in that, you know, they need to know about anionic and cationic don't agree with each other, that they're enemies. You know, we need to know about pH. We need to know, hey, that these surfactants are amphoteric, you know, they'll go with any cationic or non-ionic, you know, so I really am going to be breaking down this for estheticians. I'm going to be talking about um, lactic acid, mandelic acid, retinol in depth, really doing great research and really just sharing with them the importance of it so that they can feel confident in the treatment room. You know, I'm going to be talking about those carrier oils that you can't use 
on the skin, you know, like you can't use carrier oils as high in oleic acid on acne prone skin because it's going to do more harm than good. And then on dry skin, you need to be using those carrier oils that are high in oleic acid. You know, I'm going to really be going in depth about that. So the estheticians can know like, you know, okay, I know I can use this, but I can't use this, you know, talking about what they should mix and match together with when they make those concoctions. So, you know, really just going in depth and even talking about new ingredients that are heading to the market, you know, like black diamond powder, um, you know, pearl powder, you know, just these exclusive ingredients, vegetable collagen, cactus water, which is way better than olive vera juice, you know, so really talking about, you know, so they can stay on top of it, because it's evolving, it's an evolving industry. And so you have to be, you know, knowing what's coming. So you know, and how you can apply it, you know, in your treatment room. So I'm really going to be going into depth about all of that. That sounds so exciting. I mean, I want to sign up. I that sounds like exactly what's missing. Yes. So, you know, you just so that estheticians can feel more confident and they really, really, really know what's in Mm -hmm. these products. You know, I'm going to be breaking down ingredients in all of these professional skincare line. So when they see it, they're like, okay, I know what that is. That's a conditioning agent. (laughs) You know, yeah. Yeah. Did you say that was coming to your Patreon? Yes, I'm uh, working on it now and the Patreon will will launch June 28th and I'll make the announcement on Instagram as well (laughs) yes okay so guys make sure you go follow Keisha if you are interested in taking the Patreon class when it comes out Keisha do you want to tell us where we can find you on social media Yes, um, Keisha No Skin on Instagram. Um, I have not posted anything on YouTube for a while, but I'm gonna start Me again. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while, <laughs> but um, okay. you know, it's Keisha No Skin on there as well. Um, but yeah, you know, I go into depth about you know good formulations, and I give sample formulas that you can try out. You know, see how you wow. like it as well. So yeah. <laughs> Very, very cool. Well, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope to have you back on soon because there's just so many topics we could get into. So maybe you can be like our dedicated podcast formulator. Right. I wouldn't mind. I (laughs) love the treatment room. (laughs) Oh, thank you so, so much. I'm just so glad we're connected and so grateful for your expertise. Thank you. And Tessa, I'm so proud of you. Everything looks beautiful. You know, you found a niche that's amazing and you're really doing it. And I just know that God is going to bless you even more. So I'm just so proud of you. And I want to give you your flowers, you know, and this is only the beginning. It's only up from here. And I'm just so proud of you. Thank you. That's so, so sweet. Thank you so much. I feel the same about you. Yeah, only good things to come. So keep putting yourself out there. Keep sharing. I mean, I talk to a lot of experts, but this is really, really good, like special information. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank (laughs) you so much. Thank you guys for listening. I will talk to you in the next episode. And Keisha, thank you again for coming on. Thanks for having me.